0: Welcome back to The Latecomers. This is Amity.
1: And this is Lemuel.
0: And this is episode one of our first season of Twin Peaks. Uh, We watched the pilot episode, which also is called Northwest Passage. It aired originally on Sunday, April 8th, 1990. Uh, it's a full two-hour episode, 137 or something like that for us. Uh, we are watching it on Netflix. The whole show is on Netflix, so we can watch it easily that way. This episode was written and directed by David Lynch. Uh, Mark Frost was another writer on there. According to Wikipedia, er, 346 million people watched it when it was on the first time neither of us were included in that number no so let's look back at what happened on the day this show premiered that's april 8th 1990 what i can tell you from the interweb is that george h.w bush was president which i didn't need the internet to tell me uh Love Will Lead You Back by Taylor Dane was the number one song in the United Dane, States. Taylor Dane, good Lord. I love Taylor Dane. I love Tig Notaro. That means a thing. This being on TV was a big deal. It was.
1: Everyone was talking about it.
0: The most popular movies were Cry Baby, uh, the John Waters film, probably the most... Uh, commercial? Su- s- commercial of John Waters films. Right. Um, also popular at the time... Uh, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, the first one.
1: Oh ah, yeah, I remember that too.
0: Sans Michael Bay. Uh, also, Gary Marshall's Hooker with the Heart of Gold, classic. <laughs> Pretty Woman. <laughs> Pretty woman. <laughs> and um, before we get into the episode, what were your thoughts going in? Did you have, like, for instance, the three things I know about Twin Peaks are cherry pie, log lady, and a woman was murdered. I didn't even know it was a girl. So what did you
1: um, know go in it? I knew that it was going to be about um, trying to solve a crime who killed Laura Palmer. Um, I didn't really have any expectations. But
0: like from culture you didn't have any...
1: I stayed away from it.
0: Like you didn't know that the Lost Lady was a thing. stay away from popular things. Yeah. You didn't know that cherry pie was a thing. No, you didn't, I didn't. You didn't. You really are going in not. totally clean slate. No. Okay, that's fine. I right. just so um, the Wikipedia uh, plot synopsis reads:
1: In the feature-length pilot episode, the small town of Twin Peaks, Washington, is shaken up when the body of a high school student. Laura Palmer is discovered near a riverbank wrapped in plastic. FBI agent Dale Cooper is called by the local sheriff, Harry Truman, when Ronette Pulaski, a schoolmate of Laura, is found wandering a bridge and then slips into a coma. Cooper sees a connection between Laura's death and the murder of another girl one year earlier. After finding a piece of paper under Laura's fingernail, similar to the one he found in the fingernail of a girl who had died earlier, Cooper suspects that the same killer might have struck again. Meanwhile, Sheriff Truman arrests Laura's boyfriend, Bobby Briggs, who is secretly having an affair with a married woman named Shelly Johnson. Afterwards, Laura's mother has a terrifying nightmare.
0: So, that is a terrible plot synopsis.
1: I don't even remember all of that happening.
0: All of that happened, but it's as though somebody... Looked at my nine pages of notes and picked a sentence per page, mm. and was like, "That's the synopsis." That's maybe
1: it, it was a beat writer, and they're using the cut-up method, just take oh, random, yes, <laughs> random sentences out of your nine pages of notes and make a poem out of them.
0: That's what it feels like. So let's uh, let's let's go uh, over it in the way that we experienced it, rather than the way Wikipedia has experienced sequentially it sequentially, incomprehensibly. Well, yeah. So. We hit play on Netflix, and the first thing that we saw was a bird, which I thought was an odd thing to open on. The literal first thing I wrote down was bird. And it just, it did feel very 1980s even, with the neon credits that came in. And it felt like the opening of a movie. Like, I'm curious to see episode two to see if the credits are as...
1: Theatrical. Yeah,
0: cinematic as they were. Um, the music was extraordinarily atmospheric, which is true throughout the whole episode, I would say. It was as though Hans Zimmer scored this well,
1: thing. Well, the music itself, it reminded me a lot of... Um, I remember watching one of the old Hammer films uh, with Stephanie, our roommate. How she always knew when to look at the screen because there was always a musical cue.
0: Dun-dun. Look out.
1: Right, that lets you <laughs> know. Uh, Strings. Right, so exactly. Someone's gonna die. Um, And so there was that feeling here of watching an old-fashioned soap opera where there was an organ playing in the background that was going to hit the most melodramatic note when you're supposed to be paying full attention. And there was that feeling to it felt like it was uh like the whole tone of it was very melodramatic
0: yes well yes that's true and very
1: artificial but
0: so we go through the green neon credits there's a scenes i guess that are from the sawmill which is a going concern in twin peaks
1: it's like an educational film
0: it is it does look like an educational film but it also doesn't look like a sawmill it looks like a saw blade factory? like that the saw
1: is being manufactured or sharpened or something.
0: Yeah, which maybe they do all of it on site. I don't know. And we get the Welcome to Twin Peaks sign, population 51,201. And both of us thought that number's going to have to change. <laughs> the first person we see is Packard. Mrs. Packard? Jackie, maybe? I can't
1: remember the first name
0: and she is an asian woman lovely very much given geisha vibes here and i know that she's a chinese woman mm-hmm. um but it felt to me that that was what he was trying to
1: he was giving i, I it seemed very much like the tragic asian woman
0: <laughs> i didn't know that was a trope but well I'd madam Believe butterfly uh, Oh, fair
1: that kind of trope yeah
0: and so we see her and we see a white couple mm-hmm. and we don't know what their relationship is to each other. We do find out, but at the beginning it's very odd because it's this—it's clearly this older couple who are a couple and the gentleman is going fishing and the wife is angry consistently Which as means we see her. It's a married couple. Yes.
1: That's what we're supposed to take away and from And
0: then also this Asian woman is living mm-hmm. with them. But we don't know why.
1: Right. This is where I got a little confused because throughout the program, um, there's a very 50s aesthetic to the the way the characters dress. Sherilyn Fenn.
0: Oh, who may as well be Ratso Rizzo? Right. Yes. <laughs> like
1: a, her character, her shoes... And the first thing it harkened back to was... Oh, she's
0: wearing um, saddle shoes?
1: Yeah, back it? to uh, Sybil Shepherd in The Last Picture Show or something, where it's really a strongly representative of a particular place and time. Right. And she does, rat Rizzo, that's exactly what came to mind too. She, but she's a sort of mischief troublemaker.
0: So the gentleman in the, in the older white couple goes out to go fishing and sees something, we don't know what it is, um, and then it turns out it's a plastic bag, and there's a body in it.
1: Plastic bag full of girl. <laughs> um, and Came the next from the factory that way, I think. <laughs> the
0: next scene is the police station uh, where we are introduced to Sheriff Harry Truman and the worst secretary that's ever existed. I think
1: she's the best secretary that ever existed.
0: <laughs> Lucy, who, who spends, I'm going to say, a full minute trying to describe... Which phone she's going to transfer a call to? Well,
1: where it is in the room, which is very important. I think that she Well,
0: yeah, but it's about to ring. Anybody so who
1: spends that much time arranging your donuts for you... Well, we
0: haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> but yes, she uh, she's a donut arranger. Well, yeah, we come back much later and I think, maybe Lucy lives at the station because she appears to have been putting in 16 plus hour days.
1: Yeah, well, just on the donuts.
0: yeah. If she's, if she's arranging donuts for them every night and she's there at maybe 7 in the morning when the police get called, it's the time in this episode is very confusing too. I was like, it's it felt to me that everything was happening and then school started. And I'm just like, but I feel like four hours has passed. When do you all start school? Maybe they start school at a reasonable time and not at like... Eight, which is where schools here start.
1: Well, it could also the 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 first character that we see is going fishing, which is a very early activity.
0: That's true, but it's light outside.
1: Right, but it's also but also he has
0: the film, so you fudge. Very far north. It's Washington. It's Mm. not Alaska. See, and I would agree with you there too, because I fully thought that this show was in Alaska. We so we're introduced to the sheriff and we're introduced to Lucy and we're introduced to a, an officer named Andy who's very soft and can't handle anything and will be crying regularly. He cries twice in this episode, three times maybe? Mm-hmm. He cries a whole bunch. And then it's the sheriff and Andy um, and I believe the medical examiner or doctor out um, on the beach with the fisherman, Pete, and they're taking pictures of the body, and then they flip her over, and you find out, spoiler, we already told you, it's Laura Palmer. And that's the first time that I knew, or I realized that she was basically a child. She's 17, she's a a high school student, but I thought it was an older person. Mm. And then there is a very long scene at the Palmer house with Laura's mom calling out to her to come down for breakfast. And a scene that is, I'm going to say, 90 seconds to two minutes, where we're watching this woman knowing that her daughter is dead and elsewhere. It just seemed like a very odd choice.
1: How do you mean knowing her daughter is dead?
0: We, the audience...
1: Well, okay, we know that.
0: (laughs) ...know that... Because they have said, it's Laura Palmer. Right. And then we see mom yelling, Laura, Laura, come down for lunch or breakfast. Laura, Laura, don't make me come up there. Like, it's a long scene.
1: No, I think that works, though.
0: Well, I just feel like it went on for a a very long time, knowing, giving that the audience knows. Right. Laura ain't coming down. So for 90 seconds, we're like, I have bad news for you. (laughs)
1: Well, it's supposed to make the later scenes where they actually get the news work better, I think.
0: What maybe. She goes upstairs, finds out that she's missing, starts making phone calls. And then we move to the hotel where there is a weirdly... It's not racist, but it is... They're setting up to sell the sawmill or the land that the sawmill is on because they believe that the sawmill is going under to a group of Norwegians... I didn't know they were Norwegians at first because they were tell? referred to as cheese eaters. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I don't know what a cheese eater is. Right. But apparently, and then we I go in. I thought people from Wisconsin. Nope. Okay. Norway. Norway. There is, yes, I have hund i hund, health and industry, and that would be the logging industry, go hand in hand. So they're just selling a real bill of goods to these people. <laughs> At this meeting, Laura's dad is one of the executives trying to make this deal, um, and he is called out to the phone where his wife is trying to find out if she's with him. He says, no, she's not here. And the sheriff walks in and takes off his hat, and the music swells. And I wrote, hat off, never good. (laughs) The music is A whole bunch. We just hear, we get a lot of close-ups on the phone, which Laura's father has dropped, and we hear Mom screaming through the phone. All right, so the next scene, we're at the diner, which is another reason that I was confused by the time, because Bobby was supposed to be at practice, Mm -hmm. and now we, we run into Bobby at the diner. He's flirting with, you know, everyone, even though Laura is at least in name, his girlfriend. Mm-hmm. But he is having a relationship with a woman who is getting off at this time. So I guess she works nights, Shelly. Right. Um, her character I thought was in high school, but apparently is a grown-ass woman with a husband.
1: I didn't get that yet. I haven't gotten clear on all the characters because they introduce you to a lot at the they same time. They do.
0: So this is Shelly. She's blonde. She looks young enough to be the same age as Bobby and Laura. Mm -hmm. I do take into account that these are people on television, so they're always older than their stated ages. Um, And I thought that he was asking if her dad was home, but apparently he was asking if her husband was home. Mm -hmm. So they are in his car on the way to her house for a twist, and Mm -hmm. as they pull up to her house... His giant truck is sitting in the driveway.
1: Which must be a metaphor for something.
0: They reacted to that truck like this was maximum overdrive. He just slams on his brakes in the middle of a long stretch of road where there is nothing. If the dude is looking out the window of this trailer, I think it is, he's seeing you. So I don't know who you're going to, who you're kidding. She hops out and he spins around and takes off ostensibly, I guess, to go to school since he's not going to get any. But they really, and the the way that the truck is photographed, it's very much like, dun-dun-dun, truck. Mm. It's not moving, it's not doing anything. There's no one in it. But it's like they he moves the shot close to it so it, like, is real in your face. It's very strange. Then we move to the morgue, and the only thing I wrote down here is that she's 17, which is, I guess cementing in my head oh this is like a like a child right and then we moved to school where classes haven't started yet which is why i was like time is weird i feel like at least six hours would have had to pass but it can't be later than 9 a.m so
1: how would he have worked out the director for you where you felt a better sense of time passing
0: I don't know. And it's possible it's because we're looking at so many storylines right. and we're being introduced to so many people that I'm thinking of it as a linear thing when really it's a bunch of things happening at the same time. Simultaneously. Yeah. yeah. But we're like 20 minutes in, and I feel like an inordinate amount of time has passed. Also, finding her and and moving her to the morgue It felt like that would just take longer, but maybe in a small town, there's not a lot else going on, so it happens more immediately. Everybody appears to be smoking. There's a lot of smoking in this show.
1: Well, that's part of that aesthetic I told you about. That's true. You know.
0: Yes, and there's the bikers and...
1: The greasers and the clean-cut kids and the football players and the uh, cheerleaders and...
0: But yeah, Bobby comes waltzing in. I officially hate him. I hate him, and I hate his floppy hair. I, I
1: hated his acting.
0: Was he it the acting? He didn't
1: seem to have a single scene where he didn't overplay it by just a little bit.
0: Now, given the fact that we know David Lynch is extraordinarily territorial about his work.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Actually, I don't actually know that about him. But I assume that about him, because I f- think of him as the auteur, and that's how I think of auteurs was he directed to be like that or was he just not great
1: I think he could have been I don't know it's it's too early for me to tell yet I'll have to see if there's other scenes that reveal you know he's putting on a show for the cops that could have plainly been what um, the right. case was
0: Right but I mean he puts on a show everywhere he goes right. and he that's that was my thing was uh, he might just be a punk kid right. who I would hate in real life if I met him like we would not get along But his floppy hair was bothering me. And he was just so smug and like, I'm Bobby and nothing bad could ever happen to me. And I'm like, dude, like, what? (laughs) Your child. I mean, granted, he doesn't realize that. he will live forever. I
1: don't think any of the, the characters here expect anything bad to happen to them ever. Fair. This is a very quiet town. People kind of simmer. The rivalry between the sister and the young wife or widow Run the sawmill. Um, it's not like anything overt's going to happen there. It's going to sort of simmer for a very simmer, long time. Right.
0: So then we're in a classroom, and we we have met, uh, Sherilyn Fenn's character, whose name I cannot remember. I refer to her as Ratzo. We'll get all of their names down eventually. Uh, Laura's best friend, Donna, is played by. It's Laura Flynn Boyle, right?
1: Uh, the actress that was formerly Laura Flynn Boyle. Yeah.
0: Well, she's still... Let's not speak ill of her. We don't know where she is. The last time I saw her, she was in a Men in Black movie. That's right. And she sees through the classroom window a girl... Just one girl running across a quad, hands clasped to her face, screaming, Macaulay Culkin-esque, and then she looks at the empty desk, and she knows... But something's wrong with Laura, or something's happened to that Laura. That was really well handled. That was?
1: I thought it was very well handled.
0: I did not.
1: I liked the idea that it's a little tiny thing, like noticing that somebody is distraught, something's wrong, or this getting, acquiring the sense that something's wrong, and then looking over and noticing that your best friend isn't their desk and watching her put two and two together like that.
0: That's fair, but also, who's distraught like that? What is? What was? That was so weird. And who was she? Where did she come from? What did she hear? What is happening?
1: Well, that's kind of like adolescent girls, though, with these really high-pitched emotions, running, screaming. And it's not just adolescent girls; it's boys too. Do you think Everything. that that was
0: a normal reaction? That this I don't think it was a normal was reaction.
1: Having? But in a group of high school, there's going to be people with abnormal reactions too.
0: But did you understand where she had come from? Because I didn't no, no, understand didn't, where didn't she had come explain.
1: from. What you find out later from the principal is that the story was already getting around the school. Oh, okay. That something was wrong, because that's why he was being forced to later make an admission after interrogating uh, the floppy-haired boyfriend.
0: Bobby is in the library getting grilled. Um, He finds out that Laura is dead, and he reacts, uh, not at all, I would say.
1: Yeah, no, I don't think he does.
0: He seems mildly surprised. Right. But he doesn't seem upset in... Anyway, and that could just be like, oh, I guess one less girl I get to fool around with since mm-hmm. he seems to have a stable. And then we go to the principal who gives an address over the PA system, informing the entire student body that their classmate has passed. And then he gets very upset, seems way more upset than Bobby seemed. This really felt like Riverdale. Or rather, I will say, Riverdale pulled heavily from this, I think. Right.
1: Not just in having 30-year-old teenagers, right?
0: No. Although I think these kids were younger than, say, a 90210 situation. But sort of principal and other people interrogating kids in school, the PA announcements, the sort of overblown music, like a lot of that I feel like Riverdale was like, oh, let me just... This was done once, and it seemed to work really well. Let's just do that again. And then I wrote music, box music, or cats. It almost sounded like memories or something like mm-hmm. that, the music that was being played. And then we go to the Palmer house, where uh, Mrs. Palmer has been clearly drugged. I mean, the doctor is there. Mm. The doctor is, I believe, Donna's uh, father. And he's got her his hand on uh, Mrs. Palmer's arm, and she is... Bullying, and then suddenly she is not and i wrote down mom got valium like it's clear and then he says you can ask her questions now and i'm just like oh yeah they really drugged this lady (laughs) she says that laura had come home the night before she had been out with bobby but she'd come home at nine and she had gone up to her room and the last thing that she said was, good night, sweetheart. It takes her a while to get that out. Right. Um, there are uh, police up in her uh, Laura's bedroom, and they find her diary. And it's one of those little diaries that v- involves a tiny, tiny key. And they're like, where's the key? And I'm just like, if you give that a little bit of elbow grease, you could get it open probably not even elbow grease. You could probably just pull it open right. as though you were opening a plastic package you got from the store. Like, it, they're not they're strong. Not, right. This is when I wrote that the sheriff uh, was really giving me some um, Friday Night Lights vibes. Like, he was really soulfully looking into people's eyes. Um, and then uh, when they're, they're talking, um, they ask if Laura got any calls when she got home, and Laura had Laura's phone had rung, and I, that reminded me of because when I was younger, I had my own phone line too, right. and I know that that was a thing, a fairly popular thing. Um, I imagine that her phone was clear, and you could see the guts of it. Maybe <laughs> they were neon. That is the picture that I had. Then we go to the mill. Pete is singing a song. Catherine is glaring at him. Josie is sort of fighting her way Josie is the uh, owner of the mill we find out but Pete and Catherine the white couple um, are the people who've been running it, they have the experience it's Catherine's brother who was the owner of the mill and who has passed on at leaving the entirety of the mill to uh, his wife that he brought over from Hong Kong I believe is how they, mm-hmm. they put it and Josie has decided that they're going to shut down the mill because there is um, this loss in the community, but also because one of the mill workers' daughters is also missing. That's when you find that out. Right. And then the next scene is the bridge where we see this young woman who is dressed in what appears to be like a slip or a nightgown. Right. Um, and she is... I wouldn't say covered in blood, but extraordinarily disheveled, dirty.
1: Her clothes are torn and her hemline is covered in blood.
0: Yeah. And she's crossing the bridge from up the mountain, I think is how they refer to it, um, and is found by a worker there. Then we go to just cut right over to a gas station where we have not been before, where we meet two People and one character, I would say. So Ed appears to be the person who runs the gas station, um, and uh, one of the kids from the school rides up. I referred to him as Squarehead. <laughs> um, <laughs> and his name is James, we find out later. but I
1: like Squarehead better.
0: <laughs> yes. So he rides up, and they start talking about uh, Laura it seems like. Mm. Um, And then we get a shot from inside the gas station or the house that's adjacent to the gas station where Ed lives with who I presume to be his wife, a redheaded woman with an eye patch. The pirate. Who is obsessed with curtains. Like, she just yells, the curtains aren't going to go pick up themselves. And then later in the scene after James and Ed are speaking and James hands a note to Ed to give to Donna, who I guess he assumes is going to come out this way because this is a thing that they do. Um, She yells again about how he needs to go get the curtains. It's 10 and they're ready. So apparently it's 10 a.m. at this point. That's how, so we're marking time. And then Ed goes for the drapes. Um, and then we enter, Kyle McLaughlin finally gets here, uh, the presumed star of the show. A and presumed
1: FBI agent.
0: Yes, he's an FBI agent. He's well, presu- I say
1: presumed. He acts very strange for an That's FBI agent. That's true.
0: He does act strange for an FBI agent. And I, we meet him driving, talking into a dictaphone. It'd be his iPhone now, but... It's a dictaphone here. Um, We find out it's February 24th, for what it's worth. And I do believe this show is set in 1989. It aired in 1990, but it is set a year earlier. He's talking into this dictaphone, listing his uh, expenditures, um, and talking about how he's going to this town because he's gotten a phone call um, asking him to come in, and he was close. Um, And he extols the virtues of some cherry pie he had a tuna sandwich and some damn fine cherry pie and th- that was the first thing where i was like "Ooh, cherry pie is a thing in twin peaks that's the extent of it, what i knew about it and i assumed it was cherry pie in twin peaks but apparently it's some other places cherry pie that we've heard about for so many years he goes to the hospital and he is talking to the sheriff sheriff Harry Truman, yeah, that's still his name, and is extolling the virtues of the trees, and we find out those trees are Douglas firs. So
1: Christmas trees. Yeah,
0: they are Christmas trees. He also gets pretty assertive with the sheriff, um, basically asserting, you work for me. Um, And the sheriff doesn't seem to have a problem with that. My guess is that the sheriff is like, if it doesn't have to be my res- if a dead body doesn't have to be my responsibility, I'm on board for whatever you want.
1: I don't think he has anybody there is prepared for either the murder or the kind of murder that it is. Yeah, no, that's true. So I believe that it, it what it seems to be is that he has his own thing going on, as you find out later on, the right. sheriff. Um. So I don't think he really cares who's in charge as long as the problem gets solved. I don't think he wants to be a part of it. Right. No one there does.
0: Um, and so we go, we're visiting Ronette, who is the young woman who's been found. She is unconscious. Uh, Wikipedia seems to think she's, uh, slid into a coma. That doesn't s- feel like what's happening. It feels like they may have medicated her heavily. Um, they do mention that she has been raped several times. Um, and she, she, um is sort of dreaming, uh, with, like, nightmare-type situation, um, and she yells, don't go there, um, and at this point, Agent Cooper inspects her fingernails, and they say, you know, we, we did a check for trace and, and things like that, and he says, that's not what I'm looking for, and then he gets, seems frustrated, and he says, there's nothing there, and then he there they head to the morgue uh where uh Laura's body is and we pass Dr. Jacoby who has something in his ears you said that they might be corks
1: yeah that was hard to make out I, I couldn't tell i couldn't
0: they were like he, long sticks right. and he took one out at one point and then i think he put it back in no explanation given right and then Uh, Oh, and he wants to go to the morgue with them, which is a weird request. And they say, you know, nah, that's fine. And he says, Laura was my patient, but her parents didn't know. And then as the sheriff and Agent Cooper are leaving, uh, Agent Cooper asks if he's a shrink or a psychiatrist. And uh, the sheriff confirms that. So Laura was seeing a crazy psychiatrist unbeknownst to her parents so we know that finally we are at the morgue agent cooper looks at laura's nails i believe they also say that they'd looked for trace but apparently they didn't look that good because she has uh like a little paper letter under her nail like um as though a piece a page of a book was um cut around the letter r uh capital letter r and that's under the ring finger of her nail. I don't know which hand. It was her left hand. It was her left, left ring finger. Was was an R. Um, and then we move back to the gas station where Ed has returned from procuring drapes. And Donna is there uh, waiting for him as he drives up. Bobby's friend Mike with the feathered, beautiful feathered hair. He's yeah. a real jerk. He's... Who's Donna's boyfriend right um, it drives up trying to find Donna and goes into a like a brat he's just my best friend's girlfriend died and you should be with me and we should be with him and I'm like Bobby didn't seem to care and was super gonna bang another girl girlfriend this morning and Donna lost her best friend and you don't seem to care about that um, he puts hands on her which is not great. And um, but then Ed like sort of steps in and is like you got to go, and uh, gives Donna James's squareheads note, which says, "We'll meet at the roadhouse after 930, Which I thought was a w- a weird way that to phrase it. It could be one.
1: It. it could be you know, ten. I, that's.
0: And then the end of the scene culminates with the redheaded pirate lady playing with the drapes like opening them and closing them and watching them float in the breeze. So she got her drapes. She's a happy camper, I guess.
1: Sending messages to her pirate friends.
0: Um so then we're at the sheriff's office and they break into her diary. I don't think I think Agent Cooper literally just goes Yeah,
1: he just pops it open.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. They mention there's a mention 18 days prior to The night of the murder. Or, no, the night of the murder, there's a. I'm nervous to meet with, quote, Jay. So we don't know who Jay is. And 18 days before that, there's a key taped into the diary, which appears uh, to be a safe deposit box and some white powder, which Agent Cooper assumes to be cocaine. And everyone else is like, it couldn't be cocaine. She doesn't do drugs. Of course, she doesn't do drugs. She probably does drugs, though. <laughs> um, and then as the scene is fading out, they're, they're going through the other things that they had collected from Laura's room. And the last line of the scene is Cooper going, chocolate bunnies. Well, I guess it's a weird time for them. February 24th seems early. Oh, no, Andy. So then we go back to the forest and Andy is sitting on a log crying, just crying and calling Lucy and t- saying tell the sheriff that I'm not crying <laughs> and that he had found the crime scene. Uh and we see some blood on the ground. Um and he appears to be by like a like a train.
1: It looks like an abandoned train,
0: which like, it's crazy that an abandoned train would just be in the forest. Don't they bring those into, like, a depot or um, something?
1: I don't know. I don't know.
0: Back at the station, Bobby has been brought down to the police station, so it's getting serious for him, and Agent Cooper is uh, sort of grilling him again, but he is sitting on the same side of the table as the sheriff, and he ha- they have a machine, and I don't know what this machine is, I thought it was a calculator, like I fully expected us to look at what he was typing into this little machine and for it to just say boobs, like, (laughs) but he types in to a thing that then shows the words that he's typed on this little keyboard and he types, he did not do it. Um, I don't know what this machine is. Do you know what this machine is? No, I have no idea. It was almost like a label maker or something. Yeah, I've never seen anything like that. Uh, and then we go back to up to the hotel where uh, I assume that Laura's dad has left the meeting, but they're still trying to get the Norwegians to buy the sawmill. And they're like, you can't let them know that a murder happened because there's no way they're going to buy basically what amounts to this whole town, right? Like that's the size of the business in this town. If they buy the sawmill, they're basically buying the town. Audrey is the mm-hmm. is the Ratso Rizzo character and she's up there wreaking havoc. She gives no Fs about anybody. She is an agent of, she's the Joker in this. Like she is an agent of chaos. They say you can't blow up the Norwegian deal. And apparently her parents own the hotel. So she like lives at the hotel. And then she goes into the room where all the Norwegians are and draws attention to herself over, like, at the coffee station and then talks about how she's so sad because her friend Laura was murdered. And then we cut away uh, to the police station where Bobby is saying that the J in the diary is a biker. And then we're looking at another thing that they had pulled other than chocolate bunnies on the diary. They had pulled a camera from laura's room and they're watching the video and she's in the up up in the forest it's laura and donna together and somebody is taking the picture but you don't see who it is they've brought donna in and they're asking her questions and she says oh this woman hiker came along and we asked her to take our video we don't know her name we never got her name agent cooper like, lets her go and is talking to the sheriff and is like, no, it's probably a biker, like Bobby thinks, because he zooms in on the camera to, was it her eye? Laura's eye? Yes, it was. And you could see the reflection reflection of a bike. Can we talk about the high-quality camera that this girl had in 1989? That was pretty spectacular i was just like how did they Mm -mm. who knew film was in this tiny handheld thing it was crazy you were taking making films in
1: 1989 no they they no that was (laughs) this is is part of this um it's weird kind of surreal aspect to the program which is that's a very sort of old-fashioned idea of the eye of the murdered victim at the moment of death captures, it was that kind of thing it felt like, because there's equal parts of um, this sort of feeling of otherworldliness, almost as if you're not watching an actual murder mystery um, when you're watching the show. And you feel that way partly because it's not really playing fair with you as an audience. I mean, you know a woman's murdered, but you have no idea what she was murdered from. You see what I mean? Well,
0: yeah. But Her we're body's also, wrapped in plastic. I mean, and it's dropped. a TV show. They right. can't give you everything in the first, right. or else it's a movie, and then we're done. But
1: I mean, that's typically the way mystery runs. They present you with the clues at the beginning and then sort of divert your attention to other places, and there's red herrings to chase. And oh, then, I'm sure. But with this one, it's odd because it's like um, it's closer to uh, Giallo in that the um, clues themselves and the finding the uh, murder are not going to be the focus of it. It's just kind of this atmosphere of strangeness.
0: Well, unless you just watch it for the clues, and then Mm -hmm. you just... But what do you discount? A redheaded pirate who loves drapes? Well, every
1: single person in town could possibly be the murderer at this point. That's true. Because everyone seems to be hiding something, including the sheriff.
0: Yeah. So now we move up to the hill, up to somewhere on the mountain, and it's James on the bike that we've just seen in Laura's eye, and that's the whole scene just him sitting there looking out at the beautiful majesty and being sad uh and then we go back to the hotel and there is a scene where the norwegians are getting out of dodge and you just this ding 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 like emergency um thing and then just the repeating of norwegians are leaving norwegians are leaving and it's super bizarre Um, And then we cut directly to the train, which is the scene of at least one terrible crime. There's blood, and they find a uh, necklace on a little mound of dirt, and it's a half of a gold heart. And then the words, fire walk with me, are, they They were painted on something, but something pretty small. I can't even remember what it was now. But it's, that, and I was like, that's the movie. It's a clue, or foreshadowing, or something. And then we go back to the mountain, James, with it on his bike, and you see the other half of the uh, gold heart necklace. And then we go back to the hotel, and it looks like Audrey has a brother who's not in the scene, um, but there's a nanny-type person, Telling the family that Johnny won't stop banging his head. And they're frustrated and they're like, tell him that Laura's not coming today and is never coming back. It's not that hard to understand. And it feels very much like he might be supposed to be being portrayed as autistic Mm -hmm. or something like that. Like I said, we have not seen him. We just know that he's banging his head against the wall and has some sort of thing where Laura was helping him with something. We're going to go to the bank next. They're getting these warrants like... Right? Well, there's nothing else to do. <laughs> I guess. Um, so they're at, we're at the bank. I didn't realize we were at the bank because the first thing that we see is the stuffed head of a deer on a table because apparently it has fallen off one of the walls. You
1: didn't have that in your bank? Mm,
0: not any bank I've been to recently, mm, no. Okay. In the... Safe deposit box that the key goes to. There's a magazine called, well, I wrote Flesh Word, but probably Flesh World.
1: Yeah, Flesh Word sounds too literary.
0: Yes. And then a chunk of cash, which Cooper eyeballs and says, there's over $10,000 here. I don't know how people figure that out. As they're flipping through Flesh World for clues. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a ad at the back of it where Ronette, the young lady who is in the quote-unquote coma, uh, is putting herself up <laughs> for sale. Um, for rent, more like it. And then we, we go to, I have it written as Maximum Overdrive, so we've gone to Shelley's house. And Shelly is there watching the news with her husband, not her dad, Leo. Uh, Leo wants it turned off. Um, Leo is freaking out because there are two brands of cigarettes in the ashtrays. That's some sleuthing. She's like, oh, I just smoke whatever's, you know, whatever's left behind at the, at the diner. And he like grabs her and says, You need to only smoke one brand of cigarettes because if I find two brands of cigarettes, I'll snap your neck like a twig. Lynch is really putting heat on this dude. Like, this guy's clearly a murderer, or could be. We're going to go back to the gas station where Ed gets a call from another waitress, a different waitress, the older waitress, um, to meet at the roadhouse at 9.30 because that's what people do in this town when they want to be on the DL, Just go to the roadhouse at 9.30. Nobody else is going to tell your business because they're all doing... that I don't want other people to know about either. And once again, we see his pirate wife, happy with her blinds. (laughs) Then we're going to go to the council meeting, and we see the log lady for the first time. I'm so excited. I only know about her because apparently she passed recently.
1: Oh, okay, I didn't know that.
0: Cooper is basically given the rundown to the town, saying that a year ago uh, another body was found with a letter under the nail, portrays Laura to be victim number two and Ronette to be victim number three. And I, having watched many a show on serial killers, thought that's quite a ramping up in your timeline to go from a whole year between victim one and two and an hour between victim two and three because Ronette and Laura disappeared at the same time. So that seems weird to me, but maybe I'm doing that thing you're not supposed to do when you're a jury and bringing outside knowledge into the courtroom. Um, And they're going to enact a curfew. Um, And then we're going to go to Donna's house. Uh, Donna's eavesdropping on her parents who are talking about the curfew and her dad, once again, I think is the, if he's not the medical examiner, he might be the town doctor and the medical examiner. It, could be, it happens that way sometimes. And in the town the small, it might be that, that, that be the case. And then she goes back to her room, which she shares with her sister, who's writing a poem and trying to decide between the word blossom and the words full flower. And then she gets coverage and sneaks out on a night where there's curfew enacted because her best friend was murdered literally yesterday. Sneaking out, definitely a good idea. Donna, this is how we die. Did you (laughs) not see Scream? I mean, I know it's before your time, but, or after your time, but come on. And so she sneaks out, and as soon as she gets away on her sister's bike, Mike and Bobby drive up, hammered, well, Bobby's hammered, Mike's probably drunk. Bobby's physically drinking while standing on top of his buddy's car, which was way too nice of a car to let your friend stand on. And Mike goes up and knocks on the door and asks for Donna, at which point her dad says, Well, you guys aren't driving drunk, are you? And and Mike goes, Bobby's doing most of the driving. And I'm just like, he's physically drinking. He's, first of all, under... 21, certainly under 18, and physically drinking right now, and you're putting out that he's the one that's doing most of the driving? Very responsible. Um, And then dad goes to check um, for Donna, decides that, sure, you can talk to my little girl, let me go get her, and is informed, of course, that she has fled. And then tells him, Mike and Bobby that she has left is fine with them leaving and then just closes the door and I'm just like are you gonna call somebody are you gonna go find what do you you're gonna just leave it up to these knuckleheads to go get your daughter like it seemed very strange oh but then we do find out that he does call the sheriff and agent Cooper they get patched through to them Those two are already sitting outside of the roadhouse, or they're going to wait at the roadhouse for Donna. Right, it seemed Um, like a stig out to me. Yeah, that's right, because I think uh, Mike and Bobby thought she's going to meet a biker, and so that they assumed it would be at the roadhouse, and then they go to the roadhouse. At the roadhouse, we have someone performing to an audience who was very... Like respectful, yeah. I was very, and it was, it was like young kids. Roadhouse. It was a very chill roadhouse. These kids were like drinking beer, but sitting and watching this woman perform the theme song to the show. She's singing what what had been an instrumental when the show started, and we see Ed, married to a redheaded pirate, loving on this blonde waitress and saying, you know, I'm probably gonna maybe leave, but probably not. Who knows what's gonna happen.
1: future's uncertain
0: (laughs) and um and then we see the police car outside um cooper is whittling he says do you know why i'm whittling (laughs) because that's all there is to do in a town this small or something like that and then he sees i think bobby and mike come pull up and says you gotta call for backup like it's gonna go down inside the roadhouse we see mike getting physical with donna Um, And a fight breaks out, and Donna gets pulled out with another biker named Joey. So we think, is that the J? And then we're up on the logging road where Joey drops Donna off with James, the actual J.
1: Squarehead.
0: Squarehead, yes, of the heart locket. And the bike, the I-bike. They're talking, and Donna says... You know, Bobby isn't who you think he is. He killed a guy, and Laura knew about it. And then they, inexplicably, make out. That is, what? There's a time and a place, and I don't think this is the time or the place for these two to be kissing each other. You got a boyfriend, even though he's a jerk. So does Your girlfriend literally got murdered 24 hours a day. Also your best friend. I understand death is stressful, but come on, you guys. She says, you have to get rid of the necklace because she'd heard her father say that they were looking for the person with the other half of this gold necklace, which seemed very strange to me because I was like, well, this is a BFF necklace because typically men and women don't share necklaces. That's not typically a hetero jewelry split. So they bury the necklace and they put it under a rock that looks like a potato And James says, I'm going to turn myself in. I'm going to go into the cops because I don't have an alibi. And it's better for me if I do that. So he starts down the hill and I think they pick him up. They pull them over, make both of them get off of the bike and they take James in and they put him in a cell across from the cell where Mike and Bobby are because apparently they're the ones who were arrested for the fight that had broken out at the roadhouse. Then we're in Donna's dad's car. Oh, there was a nice moment between Donna and her father. There's a nice moment there. And then we're back at the station. Once again, it's well past 930, right? Because that's when everybody was meeting. It's got to be 11 or 12. And Lucy has set out this donut spread, which the sheriff says, yeah, she does this every night which makes me realize that this woman is never anywhere else, only at the station. Then we're back into the back of the police station, and Bobby is barking at James I to have no intimidate him. I,
1: I think that's what it was supposed to do.
0: It was ve- it was odd. Then we go out to the mill house, and we see Josie, the widow who owns the mill, kissing the sheriff? Are they kissing right away?
1: Yes, they're kissing right away. <laughs> That's
0: the first thing that we see? Now, the sheriff is not married, right? No, I don't believe so, no. He's the so only unmarried person. this isn't an extracurricular activity. This no. is just... So, and then Catherine um, apparently is on the phone, but we don't know to who. But Catherine, doesn't. we know, doesn't like Josie, doesn't like the state of the situation where she has no power. She thinks that this mill is rightly hers and that this interloper has taken it from her. That's Pretty clear from all the looks on her face. Um, and then we go back to the Palmer house where Mom's having a nightmare, but we don't know what it is. Right. And the final shot, we're back up on the road, the mill road, where they had buried the locket, or the, the necklace, and someone lifts up the rock. The potato. The potato. Looks like potato. And mushes in and pulls out the necklace and then that's it that's the end of the episode hmm. so yeah we got introduced to so many people I will say that this episode avoids some trouble that pilot episodes of television shows have with exposition because there was a reason for the exposition to be happening you have a new person like like When we are introduced to the log lady at the council meeting, the sheriff, Cooper goes, who's that? And the sheriff goes, we call her the log lady. That's the entirety of the thing. But he would have said, who's that? And that would have been the answer. Like having this new person come in and have to have the intricacies of the town explained to him makes sense in the narrative that they're telling. So it works better than many pilots, I think.
1: It didn't feel rushed either. He was moving at a very deliberate speed. Right. And I think that's the problem with a lot of pilots too. There's a lot to uh, get the audience prepared for. And this, it didn't do that. It was taking its time.
0: Yeah, I'd agree with that. And the other thing, I think it might be my favorite David Lynch thing that I've ever watched. So that's positive. Right. I'm I'm curious to see various things on how the show itself is going to be. So this was like a movie pilot. So I'm I'm weirdly curious about what the credits are going to be like in the regular show. Mm. I'm curious to see if each episode's going to be a day because this right. whole episode was one day and I wonder if that's how they're going to continue.
1: I think it's too difficult to conceit to pull off with a bunch of episodes I don't know I think that um, this was yeah it was he was introducing a lot of dramatic material in one single day this sort of 24-hour arc where all this stuff well less than that all this wild stuff happens I don't think he's gonna continue doing that I think that um, this was really concentrated so you're probably gonna get more individual scenes with the or storylines with the individual characters right after this
0: and I would think that that's definitely true, or they wouldn't have brought them up.
1: Well, some people like the log lady and the psychiatrist. They're just so weird.
0: Yeah, those, I don't even consider those people.
1: They're like, like cameos almost. Yeah, they're, Jesus, they're like okay, characters, right? Right.
0: Um, almost like caricatures, mm-hmm. like art on the walls, right? rather than intricate
1: plot. I don't think the log lady necessarily is going to be... And well, again, we don't know what the crime actually was. How Laura Palmer was killed for for all we know. She got hit over the head by a woman with a log. Um, well, sure. So we don't know what killed her. Or
0: Well, she was found nude, wrapped in plastic.
1: Yeah. Well, that suggests a sex crime. But, I mean, there's no... There's a real uh, lack of detail. I don't mean that in a negative way. Mm-mm. But we're given the... Again, it seems to be the... The story seems to be really less interested in who committed the crime or even the clues is is in the atmosphere of the story. So you have a time where everyone looks like they could be guilty and things happen with, for no particular reason. Right. There's no, um, we're not let out of information like, um, let's say this was a genuine whodunit. You would be uh, being told the backstory about the letters that are stuck under the fingernails and what he thinks they mean.
0: Well, I'm I'm going to assume that we are going to hear. I about don't know that, that we will
1: because we don't know really anything about Agent Cooper.
0: He's a weird dude. He loves the deal. He loves cherry pie, and he loves to smile, but not with his eyes. Like he could take some lessons from Tyra because he smiles with his mouth, and it does not translate to the top half of his face, and it is. Very creepy. Well, it
1: really works in that you. There's a murder in town, and then this person suddenly shows up and starts thir- stirring things. Is it him? Um, that's one theory that you could oh, have. No. <laughs> Again, it's like he just shows up and he starts asking questions. And he, he seems to be very on point with things, but he's also really. There's a movie that Colin McLaughlin did. I think I, I showed a clip of it to you where he plays. Um, a police officer who's uh, been possessed by an alien being. What movie is this? Though? The Hidden. I don't recall. And he gets a lot of mileage out of acting slightly off, doing strange things like, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, well, even when quite... he
0: was like a quote unquote normal guy, like right. Sex in the City. He was still a little off.
1: Right. But he does really good with this slightly or alien element to him and he does the same thing here where he's doing things that are kind of sinister or kind of um oh well, he manipulates people and Oh he, for sure he yeah. gets them to give him the answers that he needs and he he's basically playing with them during interrogations and things I like the scene where he opens up the diary he just says no he's been very um He's been a stickler for the preservation of evidence, and then when it comes to opening the diary, he just pops it open, and the the class bursts fair? and gets all over the place. Oh yeah, it does. Yeah. Right. Does. And so he's it's it's um, which makes me think that was kind of one of those accidents that happens during a take. Maybe. Because there was a lot of it really burst wide open. The sheriff is looking at him like, "What did you just do? You're destroying evidence."
0: But at evidence. the same time. The sheriff is like on board with everything. Right, happening. but still, At no sort of point startled. Does he it. seem mm-hmm. concerned. He's just like, "Does the FBI?" He just weird. I
1: also think that it goes in. There's a really weird, like I said, '50s feel to the entire thing. Yes, and it's in the costumes of the characters. It's in the way that they express themselves. This kind of restraint that everyone's expressing. Mm-hmm. Except for when they can't restrain themselves, like, uh, well, first of all, a grown man named Andy—that's a problem right there. But he's soft. He, yes, he is, and why he gets to be a police photographer, I don't know. Well, he's the—he's
0: poli- the only other policeman. We've seen two police: the sheriff, and Andy. Right. That's why. And I wonder if he's named Andy after Andy Griffith.
1: It could be because there's a lot of there's a lot of references in characters' names. Dale Cooper would you want an FBI agent named Dale Cooper that seems suspicious what, what is that D.B. Cooper the the um, man who's actually been pursued by the FBI for years decades now he must be dead for a really daring heist Oh I don't I didn't um, know that yeah that's new information it was complete yeah it was uh, never found. And he was a wild, daring robber. Who am I
0: thinking of? DB Cooper is not an actor.
1: No, no. Well, there was an actor afterwards named DB Cooper, I think. Oh, okay, that's who I've got. Uh, but by. Dale Cooper, and then Harry Truman, of course. Right. The fact that all the characters, like Donna, the uh, is the Richie Valens song, Donna. Oh and, yeah, I
0: guess that could be. But also Donna's a name. Like, also,
1: but he's casting. He's casting Richard Beamer and, uh, and the psychiatrist. Oh, Wes Hamblin. Wes Hamblin. So oh, Russ that was West and Richard Beamer. I
0: didn't know which person was were, Russ Hamlin because I know him as a much younger right. man.
1: Russ Hamlin and Richard Beamer, who were both the buddy buddies in the West Side Story. Oh, right. And Peggy Lipton, who was the flower child, you know, kind that's of,
0: the woman that Ed right. is with, right? The, um, the older right. Um, waitress.
1: Um, but she was the sort of flower child in Mod Squad in the okay. 16, 70s or 60s, I forget. But um, but there's a lot of casting, sort of stunt casting for actors from that period. Right. And you could see these younger versions of these actors playing these same teenage characters. Right. You could really see Russ Tamlin or Richard Beamer or Peggy Lipton playing those same characters that Mokden Amick and Sherilyn Fenn and these other actors are playing. You could totally see her, Peggy Lipton, playing Larsen Boyle's part. Twenty years ago. Okay. And so there's a there's a sort of weird. It feels like the kind of thing that uh, Stephen King does with his stuff too, where he's throwing a lot of references to older stuff, mm-hmm. and, and even throwing in references to movies, cues to movies, so that you have an idea about the scene that he's setting. Right. But um, but yeah, it's it felt so weird. Like I'm not really sure what I'm looking at. It's it's a landscape that takes place inside of David Lynch's head. Yeah. Well. This is before yeah. he completely abandoned the idea of making a narrative film and started making movies like Lost Highway where one character turns into another character. Well, we
0: don't know that none of that's going to happen. Well, yeah, we don't don't know
1: know that that's going to happen here, but I think it was still early enough in his career to where he could, he was still interested in telling a narrative story that was fairly straightforward. And if you're telling a mystery, you can't really get away with things like that.
0: Well, although, like I said um, in the intro episode, we're going to find... There's eight episodes in season one. Mm-hmm. Apparently you find out who the murderer is in episode seven of season two. Right. Season two is 22 episodes long. There's a, there's a lot of space to do a lot of stuff. Well, he set up that this isn't kind of winding top
1: with all these characters. So he's yeah. trying to get you invested in who's going to take over the mill. I felt like watching it, there was a Hardy Boys mystery where clues weren't quite so important. <laughs> and we're following these very kind of spit-and-polish Characters through this maze of kind of almost um, almost like juvenile delinquent literature stock characters, the bad got boy, some the outsiders, right, the bad boy in the motorcycle, and then the the who's psycho really kid. nice and straight, and
0: everybody's gonna love him except Bobby because Bobby's a floppy-haired maniac.
1: But by now, it's almost like apparently a, cli- a murderer. Right, it's almost like a cliche though that the town greaser who drives around in his motorcycle is actually the nicest guy in town, and the so, got a real
0: soda pop on our hands. Right,
1: exactly. That's the kind of feeling I'm getting from it. And I'm not displeased with that in any way. It's not distracting to me. It's just kind of fun that you're looking at a a sort of sideways take on the world.
0: So, you want to I think at the end of every episode uh, of this show we should guess who we think the murderer is going to be.
1: I think the murderer is actually a cadre of pirates that are living in this small town. The woman with the eye patches, one, she's sending semaphore signals using her curtains to people in the bay. And the other woman, the log lady, is actually going to whittle that log into a wooden peg leg. Or For possibly herself? into so a... women pirates? But in, wait, wait,
0: wait, there has to be at least one man because Rosette was violated. Who did we so. say?
1: Who did we see uh, with whittling, actually?
0: You think it was Cooper?
1: Oh, it could be I
0: lean towards Cooper as well. Although I don't believe that he is not in the last half of the second season, and I believe he's Let's in see, the Let's see, but you're bringing episode. in outside knowledge. I am. Knowledge. I'm bringing... Oh, not supposed to bring in outside stuff. But I still don't think it was Cooper.
1: I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. I think also it's a person who possibly is one of the few literate people in town, being that he's stuffing letters underneath people's Maybe. fingernails. Maybe it's going to spell something.
0: I am going to take some bait and lean towards Leo at the moment. She- Shelley's very violent, truck-driving husband who can tell a cigarette butt from 50 paces.
1: Which means he shows more detective skills than anybody else on the show so far.
0: I wouldn't agree with that. I think that... I actually think that the sheriff... I'm going to leave Andy out of this. I think the sheriff is not a dum-dum, and I think that Cooper is not a dum-dum.
1: The impression that you're supposed to get, I think, is that the sheriff is not a dum-dum, but everyone in this town is in a state of shock. If you shut down the one major industry in town because somebody got murdered, and this is a town that's a very closely-knit community, and and everyone's uh, horrified.
0: Not just the one major industry in the town, but one that is in danger anyway.
1: And something else that it's probably... Which is why
0: Catherine, who fired that dude... For After, no reason. Because of his
1: name, obviously. She's
0: a terrible person. I don't like her. Maybe it was her. I'm going to blame... You know what? Leo, I think you're a red herring. I'm blaming Catherine, although I don't know who her male partner was. I
1: think Catherine... Um, well, she locks her... A ghost her, of her dead brother. She locks her daughter in a, a cabinet, for what I've heard. Um, that's bringing it outside knowledge.
0: Carrie? Um, that's right. I forgot who she was... She's always terrible. Is well, she always
1: terrible? She, Does Piper Laurie ever play
0: anyone Piper nice? Piper Laurie,
1: when she was young, was and she is still an attractive woman. She was just a stunning young woman who just was very. She was a very strong character, But
0: well, was she nice ever?
1: Um, yes, in some of the older movies, but she always played a very strong little woman, sort of like Maureen O'Hara or Maureen O'Sullivan. No, Maureen O'Hara. Yeah, she was always playing these sort of fiery redheads.
0: Well, she's a redhead, so but yes, so, so so <laughs> there's a limit
1: there. But um, I can only think of a couple of films where she played sort of the soft, vulnerable character. But basically, she was called on to play these sort of strong-willed people, and that probably is based on her personality. And I'm not sure exactly what got her to play. Or
0: she's play. a great actor and is literally the nicest human being that's um,
1: ever lived. Yeah, that could be the case. But yeah, I, I'm enjoying the program so far. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff to unpack for a first episode. Yeah. And it's leading you down a lot of false paths. You can say more with more conviction who you don't think the murderer is, but it's left so wide open and you know so little about the actual crime. That's true. That it could be, you know, I'm sure that we'll get details as it goes on.
0: Yeah. Okay, so we're going to wrap up by... We're going to tell you not to be late for a thing, because sometimes we're late. Twin Peaks, we're late. We're 17-plus years late. Um... Is that right? 27? Holy
1: balls. I would rather it be I'm 17. I'm very old. Cause that makes, No, <laughs> oh, no, what does that make me? There's a reason why dinosaurs are the icons 20, for the program. That's right. 20,
0: 27 years late. So uh, we're going to tell our, tell our listeners what not to be late for, what's happening right now that they should uh, be catching. TV, movie, music, book. What do you think people should be... getting getting on board with. I know you never do anything that's popular, so... The Exorcist.
1: The television The television program, The Exorcist. I am really appreciating the second season. I really like the first season. I like the way that it unexpectedly tied directly into the original story. Mm -hmm. Um, And that came out of the blue. I think that the characters in it are very compelling. Mm -hmm. They're not straightforward. They're very much like the characters in the original film and the book, in that these are troubled priests. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's one oh, priest, the priest who's, specifically. You know, the priest, the exorcist are one character who's fighting his own homosexuality, or maybe not, and one priest who's fighting his heterosexuality mm-hmm. and whether or not he should be committing adultery. But those things are balanced against a much bigger scope, not just of a person being possessed, because that story gets to be the same story over and over again mm-hmm. in films like this or television stories like this. It's part of a larger conspiracy mm-hmm. um, to do horrible things like murder the Pope and take over the Vatican. Yes. But what I appreciate is that it's genuinely creepy. It is. It does not play for cheap jump scares. Um, the possessed beings, the devils in here, are complete id. They're just nasty, they're mean, they're sexual, they're vile, they're horrible.
0: Also, uh, I like watching it because there is a varied cast. Right. We've got John Cho in the second season, and anything John shows in, I'll watch, including that weird selfie show that, right.
1: was which gone. I do appreciate how how everyone here is taking this very seriously um, I like that I was mentioning to a friend of mine there was two things that really got me the first season um, because it's a show about priests and generally when you're watching a show like The Walking Dead or you're watching a lot of other television programs the clergy is never portrayed with much depth they're either cowardly clergy or overly heroic and here you're getting a sort of a spectrum of mm-hmm. behavior these are people But the sort of confession of faith that one priest gives at what he thinks is going to be the moment of his death is actually one of the most genuine religious things you'll hear on television, where a person talks about why they believe in God. And also, there's a line that you're waiting to hear the entire first season. And I won't spoil it, because anyone who's seen The Exorcist knows what that line is. And when the actor um, who finally gets to say it at the last episode of the first season says it's said with such conviction it actually means something, it's not kind of like the throwaway that you've been waiting the whole season to hear. Right. Um, but aside from that, it's creepy, it's weird, it has scope to it, I really... I'm, and beautiful. And, phys- yes, it's beautifully photographed. It's weird that it would be, but particularly the second season taking place on this island. Where are they? Seattle? or
0: I don't... I assume it was something mm. like that off the West Coast, but right. I don't know. It could also be like... You know, it's, it's in America, but it feels like Nova Scotia, almost, or something right. like that. It does feel West discipline. Coast, though,
1: as opposed to Maine or something. But Maybe, it,
0: yeah. Yeah, I'm unclear on animals, right. but I thought Twin Peaks was in Alaska. Right, well, so. there you go. I thought it was, where again,
1: I thought it was across the, the, the uh, falls from um, the town in um, Sicily, rather, yes, Sicily. in Northern Exposure. Yeah.
0: So I'm going to recommend uh, another thing you can see on Netflix, which is Mindhunter it is a david fincher helmed uh telling of the creation of the basically the serial killer squad of the fbi um it stars jonathan groff who uh you might know from
1: Such movie glee
0: <laughs> <laughs> he was glee was the first time i ever saw him he's also been on broadway in a number of shows including as the original king george in hamilton um and he's great, and he's very good in this. He's very earnest, which is really fun. And he's got a partner uh, who's an actor that I'm unfamiliar with, but is very good. It takes place in the late 70s, 76, 77, somewhere in there. I had thought it was the early 70s, but it's the later 70s. Oh, also Anna Torv is in it from Fringe um, doing some great work. And they're putting together a team inside the FBI who will study serial killers uh, because I think the tagline is how can you get ahead of crazy if you don't understand crazy? Right. Um, and, you know, I watch Criminal Minds, which is this group now. So I'll call them the BAU, even though I don't even know if that's really what they're called. And But it's really good. It's um, lovely to look at. We're through... Five episodes, I think. I, think so. um, I believe it has been picked up for a second season, so that's exciting. Um, but I'm very much enjoying it. It's not violent. It's so far, not. Um, it's deliberate. I would say it's deliberately paced. It's not slow. It's not boring. But it's like grown-up TV. That's what I think of it. When I watch things like this, I'm like, oh, this is for grown-ups.
1: I appreciate uh, and. Mm. Talking about Mindhunter, it really is follows a line from Twin Peaks because you saw again the the uh, a film director, a major film director at the peak of their powers, mm-hmm. turning their attention towards television, mm-hmm. where they have a lot more room to play. And also, there you could see a relationship between Kyle McLaughlin's agent and this agent as sort of over earnest and saying the wrong things. Although, I think the one difference would be that. Uh, Agent Cooper is a little more sinister.
0: Yeah, I would say And I don't trust that... his
1: judgment, but that sort of over-earnestness about cherry pie and donut displays and that kind of thing. Right, I but s- I
0: think that that's a put-on with Cooper, and I don't think it's a put-on with the character in Mindhunter. Right.
1: And it's the only issue that I had with it so far is and it's stopped now, but um, I, I appreciate the fact that it's not graphic. Because I could do without another, you know, close-up of a bullet wound. I, right. Just brain, just right. Just go inside
0: the brain. Right. I remember CSI
1: there. and those just horrible zooming close-ups mm-hmm. of people's lungs stopping and what breast cancer looks like from the inside. Yeah, I could do without that. But um, I appreciate the fact that it's really very clinical in its approach. Mm-hmm. And it's, uh, it's trying to, it's not being sensationalistic in any way. No. Except for weirdly explicit sexual scenes in the first couple of episodes.
0: There are. There are butts.
1: Which are very strange. Boy
0: butts and girl butts.
1: Which had nothing to do with the actual story that they're telling, and I'm sure that it'll play a part, and there's a reason why you're seeing this.
0: You know what it is? It does play a part, and here and I'm, this is no spoilers, but there is a scene where they're talking about quote-unquote um, deviant sexual mm-hmm. uh, practices and how they want to remove some of those from the quote-deviant right. list and... Um, cunnilingus and fellatio are two of them, right? And I think you're seeing these normal human beings enacting these now, today, we believe these to be normal sexual things, right. And then going, Oh, yeah, no, normal people do this. This isn't something that you have to be a deviant
1: to do. I, th- I think that you are, um, when you're watching this show, there's a sort of, um, it's like they're setting you up. I believe that at some point their sex lives are going to be ruined by the fact that so much of their research has to do with...
0: Yeah, you're probably right. ...abnormal <laughs>
1: sexual behavior. So you're saying, look, they're perfectly normal. Okay, now it's going to start knocking that down. Right. Because as he brings up uh, to his partner, the agent, um, that it's hard not to let them inside of your head this constant misogyny. Yes. Which seems to be a huge element of, of what they're... And they start questioning each other like, well... um, what is your relationship with your mother like? And they start this kind of semi-serious conversation that then turns very kind That's of great. Like,
0: are we like them? Right, <laughs>
1: are we like them? Because there's a, a need for them to identify or separate themselves from these killers. And so I, I would warn people who are going to watch it, they won't see anything necessarily graphic, but they'll hear a lot of stuff that you probably yeah. didn't want to hear. Uh, yeah, it is done in a
0: clinical adult way, not in yeah. a jokey no. um, or flippant it way. Right. It's... These are people who have and they're talking about and two people who are portraying true life killer killers serial killers, right. serial killers. This is I don't know if the agents are I believe they're the,
1: based actual people
0: they're but are they I don't know if their names are the same, but the names of the killers that they're talking to are right like the first two episodes they keep talking about Charles Manson and how he's like the one that everybody wants to talk to, they haven't. And I don't think that they're going to actually. Um, but that was so to put you in context of, no, this is the quote unquote real world, right? Like this is history. Um, and these people have done horrible things in actuality to actual people. Um, but the show is very good. It's, and it's also beautiful to look at. I very much like David Fincher's style and, um, there's a is, lot, it's a lot of black, whites, and grays, though. It's
1: which I appreciate very it.
0: monochromatic, which, yes, is right up Lemuel's
1: alley, so. And assertive titles, too. Yes. Very assertive right. titles. That's right, the titles. It often feels like you you're go, being yelled at.
0: Whenever you go to a new place, the, the, the location is put in, giant, like, full-screen white letters. I never
1: thought Altuna would be so terrifying, but <laughs> yes, it just sort of leapt out on the big screen right out at me, and yeah. I, I felt injured
0: all right so i think that does it for this episode thank you so much for listening i'm going to ask you to rate review and subscribe to us on whatever you listen to your podcasts on um we i figured out how to put us on stitcher so we're there we're on google play and we're on itunes it's very exciting uh you can find us on twitter at latecomers pod you can find me on twitter at amity armstrong uh, you still don't have a Twitter? Is that accurate?
1: Yes, absolutely. Yes.
0: Oh, all right. Uh, you can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. Um, I have another podcast called Podcasts Collected Presents, which you can find anywhere you ca- uh, can find podcasts. I'm one of several hosts. Several of those hosts are European and have awesome, yummy accents. So listen to that. We're talking about podcasts. It's very meta. And if you don't have enough podcasts to listen to, if this one and that one aren't enough, we'll get you some more. You all are fantastic, and uh, we will talk to you next week. I've got a new tagline. Let's see if he likes it. Remember, only you can prevent spoilers.
1: Oh, okay, yeah. Not so much? Mm-hmm. All right. <laughs> I like the other one Eat better, actually. <laughs>